and welcome back to another episode of The Finance Burrito. Much like a mosquito in the summertime, it's wonderful to be back in your ears. My name is Liv G and I'm a journalist at mozo.com.au, which is a financial comparison website. And I'm joined, as always, by my colleague and stalwart co-host, Tom Watson. Hey, Tom. Hey, Liv. Hey, everyone. Guess what? This is somehow our last episode of 2020. Crazy, right? Mad. It's all over. <laughs> um, it's all over. It will begin again in the new year. Um, I guess we should say a big thanks up front uh, to everyone, whether mm. you've been listening for the full 14 episode slog or if you're just tuning in for the first time, uh, we really appreciate it. And we hope you've enjoyed yourself along the way and perhaps even, you know, learned a few financial lessons. Yeah, true. And you know what? If you haven't, please send your grievances in writing to uh, sparkle underscore princess underscore 24 at hotmail.com, which uh, I believe is Liv's personal email address. Untrue. Not true. Really? No, my original um, year five email address was actually live-loves-life at hotmail.com, which is, you know, a true fact. I do. I feel like that needs to be on a throw pillow somewhere. Right. It needs like those wooden blocks that you put on the shelf. Yeah. But um, still out there somewhere. I don't know. I don't have the the, uh, password anymore. But anyway, (laughs) let's um, crack into the episode. Um, because we're going to do things a little bit differently, so we need to prepare ourselves. Because um, it wouldn't be a fitting last ep of the year if we didn't take a quick TARDIS trip back in time. Yes, indeed. And uh, we're not just looking back on 2020, though. We're going to uh, reflect on the biggest changes and trends in banking over the past decade. And mm. guess what? The uh, the death of checks is not one of those somehow. <laughs> Uh, why? Because they're somehow still a thing, amazingly. Floating around, me little things. Um, That's going to be our saucy meat, we're calling it this episode. (laughs) But um, we'll end things as we always do with um, a casual chat on a spicier money topic. And I'm certainly looking forward to spilling the beans one last time for the year. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But first, let's get into the meat. So now a decade is a long time to look back on, 10 years, huge. Um, So to put things in perspective, Apple launched the iPad in 2010, which if you're a sucker for Macs, kind of shows how far we've come. That's crazy. I can't believe it's been 10 years since that came Mm. out. Huge. Wow. Um, But it's funny you bring that up because while it focuses obviously on banking today, a lot of the changes and trends in the past 10 years have obviously been technologically driven. Um, But before we dive into it and our list, we've got a special guest joining us today who's... uh, waiting patiently on mute on our Zoom call and should probably be introduced. Um, We roped in an expert on all things banking, our colleague and senior research analyst, Mitch Pollard. Hey, Mitch. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, you managed to unhit the mute button. Well done, mate. (laughs) (laughs) I succeeded, unlike uh, 50% of my meetings. Yeah, you've got technology sorted, which will be great for this episode. You're all over it. I reckon we should jump straight into it because yeah, you are it. you're the brains of the operation, Mitch. So we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get you get your mind working on all of our big questions of the last ten years. And I think one of the um, the biggest changes probably has been that decline in physical or in person parts of of banking life. So 
the, um, the use of bank branches and our declining use of cash, physical cash. Um, but it's sort of smouldered down slowly. I think a lot of people might not actually have noticed it happening and drifting mm. away. Um, but the big question is, when was the last time either of you guys actually stepped foot in a bank branch? And what on earth were you doing there? Do you have one, Mitch? You can go first. Um, yeah, I think the last time I stepped into a bank branch, I kind of... Um, stepped on the you know the precipice and you know took my cash out of the atm and kind of looked longingly into you know the the bank tellers and i was like i wonder what i'd actually need to do in there but yeah i've i haven't been into a branch in many many months um but yeah it's interesting because um you know back in 1990 there were around seven thousand bank branches in australia that's dropped now to about five thousand ish you know five and a half thousand ish um but you know what we got to factor in is that uh the Australian population has increased by 7 million people. So, you know, yeah, they haven't been closing bank branches crazily, but, you know, you would expect an increase in bank branches to to support um, a bigger population. That's just not the case. Mm. I guess age has got to have something to do with it. Like I know my grandparents, they're getting close to 90 now and they just insist on never learning how to use a computer. They reckon they're too old. And so they do all of their banking in branch or over the phone or like at the post office so that's sort of, I feel like it's being retained for older generations, perhaps. I feel like the last time I needed to use a bank branch, because like most of my banking is now online or with mm. online banks or neobanks, um, was like when I'm given cash by older people and I need yeah. to deposit it somehow. So I was like, had to convince my girlfriend to go into the, her bank, which is still has branches, to deposit the cash for me. I mean, um, how, how big are your cash presents? That's sounding like, you know, you got a... <laughs> Mate, I've, I've got big stacks of cash at home. You know? <laughs> no, I don't. Please don't steal money from my house. Um, but that kind of brings us on to the next um, part of um, this decrease in like the physical side of banking, which is that cash use has really gone mm. down. So in 2010, about 65% of all payments were made in cash. But that's fallen to about 35% in, well, in 2019, um, according to the RBA. Yeah, so that's almost a big, half. Yikes. big plummet in nine years. Yeah. I still use cash for like sort of, there's random bits and bobs. Like if you go to a market, especially, and there's like people selling secondhand stuff, you need to have cash or like a lot of random little services, like getting your nails done or getting a massage. Sometimes you, they don't require cash, but they're like, mm. you can get $5 off. And I'm like, I'll take that deal. Okay. I'm going to guess what Mitch uses cash for now. And it's <laughs> to get his hair cut. Oh, that, that's basically it. Um, yeah. It's the uh, same as me. Yeah. You know, like I, I have my, you know, a $50 note in my wallet that you know, I folded up behind one of the cards just in case. Um, but yeah, it's kind of stayed there for a few months now. And, <laughs> and this is not surprising, right? Because yeah. I think this skews by age. And I, I think something like 15% of um, all purchases made by people under 40 are cash. So just a tiny fraction, basically. Mm. Yeah. And, 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 it's, and it's getting smaller every day, I think, as um, people warm up to the idea of uh, uh, making transactions between people using pay ID. Mm. Um, and you know, warm up to that idea. Even even you know the the humble eBay transfer in person is being done digitally now. I didn't yeah, cool. even know that was a thing. Um, speaking of uh, kind of like uh, <laughs> ways to pay that have definitely um, 
gone past their heyday now is checks. Um, somehow people still use checks. Um, to put this in perspective, about 1% of all transactions in 2007 were made by checks, which is amazing to me. Um, but that figure has dropped even lower to 0.2% now, but people are still using them. Um, why, Mitch? Why do people still use checks? Or do you have uh, any insight into this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can give an example myself. You know, a couple of years ago, um, I changed my bank account. Um, I forgot to tell the tax office and they didn't know where to send the money and they sent it with a check and I received in the mail. I was like, what's this thing? What does it do? What but, do it um, even look like? I don't even know. Yeah, exactly. Did you um, think you were I being scared? <laughs> well, a little bit. I was like, what if it doesn't arrive? You know, what do I do? <laughs> but yeah, I think that's kind of like a, a use case for for the check is, you know, those situations where, you know, there's money to be sent somewhere, but it's not exactly clear where it should go. And I think, you know, checks will stick around for a little while longer, just, you know, but it will just dwindle down to nothing eventually. Mm. It just seems so dangerous to me because it's just like a piece of paper and it's kind of like, mm -hmm. if you put, it could be worth a whole lot of money and it could just get ripped up. The away dog could the eat it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Sure. <laughs> um, I think this is a really good segue to our next segment, which is um, contactless payments. They've really arrived on the scene in the past 10 years mm. and essentially, beep, beep, beep. Yeah, <laughs> essentially kind of replaced <laughs> cash. Um, so we're talking uh, cards and phones, of course, more recently. Um, but gone are the days of inserting your card as well, because... Like I said, it's all about the contactless, well, kind of contactless because I end up like slapping my phone and it gets a little payment terminal anyway on my card. <laughs> um, but in theory, contactless payment. Um, to start off the section though, I thought it would be nice to have a little guessing game. So, okay, so either you can answer or both you can answer. So okay. uh, according to the RBA in 2013, around 10% of all payments were contactless. Um, what is that percentage now? I reckon like 50? Like 80, I'm thinking. Live wins, 60%. Yeah. Whoa. Oh, maybe that's, yeah, that is closer to mine. It's definitely closer. Let's yeah. ask you. <laughs> I'm just like, hang on. What well, kind of makes sense? Because like, there are big payments. And I wonder if they include like the online shopping stuff as well. Because that's Oh, not, definitely. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Interesting. Um, but the first kind of thing to go with the advent of contactless payments was the signature, which is, I, I, don't think I ever remember really signing for anything. I probably did um, on a card, on a credit card. Yeah. Um, but that went out of um, you know our lives in 2014 somehow. Did it? Yeah. I feel like I still occasionally, like at Aldi the other day, just I had to sign something because something didn't work. It was They're weird. They're asking for your autograph, I think. Oh, maybe. <laughs> Pretty famous. Yeah. Um, yeah. The last time I, I gave a signature for a card was, you know, traveling in, in the States. You know, it's common oh, over there. Yeah. But yeah, oh, true. I mean, it does make you feel like, you know, a bit of a grown-up, bit of a bit of a big man. Yeah. Especially when they bring, you know, you to a restaurant, they bring it to you in that little that little folio, that little leather folio. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, true. So, that so is kind of nice. That's a classy way to pay, signing for something, actually. Maybe Very they should bring classy. it back with digital signatures. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but I reckon what's weirder and something that I haven't got into because I'm sort of... I'm, <laughs> I'm not, like, off-grid. I'm a bit of a skeptic when it comes to, like all of the payments on your phone. Cause I'm just like, I don't trust my phone. It's really old. It kind of turns off when it gets too hot, which is a worry. <laughs> and so all of the, the uptake in the digital wallet scene. So like Apple pay, Google pay, Samsung pay, I'm just a hundred percent not across it. And I realized it came out in Australia. What was it in 2015? Yeah, so that's I guess when Apple Pay came out, yeah. That's when Apple Pay came out. So yeah, it's been around for ages and I'm sort of just like, what is? And I, it's interesting, what is it? It's gone up to about 
10%, 10 10.8% in 2020 of um, the, the various pays moving from, tw from 6% in 2018, which is a pretty big jump, but it's nowhere near, you know, the, the rate of cards. Do you reckon we'll see that jump and jump and jump, Mitch, in um, the years to come? I, I think it will continue to increase. Um, you know, Australia is one of the first countries to like widely embrace contacts payments using cards. And because that was so widely rolled out by the time we got around to using Apple Pay and Google Pay on our phones, you know, we were a little slower um, to implement that. And, and also another reason the, um, the banks and Apple and Google tussled over, you know, who was getting paid and user privacy. So it was a little True. slower than other countries to get off the mark. Um, who was getting but, paid, like what, Apple making money from yeah, exactly. people using it. Uh, okay, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, or who the merchant would have to um, have to pay, you know, the, the coffee shop owner or the... the yeah. Yeah, so in that case, yeah, there was a bit of disagreement, but it eventually got sorted out. Um, but yeah, we can definitely expect, you know, these um, mobile wallets, you know, to increase in popularity slowly yeah. over time. I'll have to get a new phone. I'll have to get on board. You definitely need to get on board, man. But it's, <laughs> it's like ready. you're five years late already. I know. It's just, I mean, I think I've got a five-year-old phone. Yeah, I've had it for five years. So <laughs> that kind of tracks. But um, <laughs> and I think in the same vein is probably our next little point which is the whole big new scary world of uh buy now pay later oh huge so, yeah massive so if you're old enough um which i think we are i remember it <laughs> um everyone will probably remember the old school lay-by system from childhood so like you go into toys r us or kmart and you don't necessarily pay the full sum you pay a bit and you can take it home and you pay it back in installments this is essentially that, yeah. yeah good times lego all over the place <laughs> this is essentially the sort of digital form that is i feel like it's taken off in a much bigger way than labor i don't have any proof of that but it just feels massive um obviously afterpay and zip have kind of dominated things in this space um, but there are now i think about 15 providers of buy now pay later which seems huge and i feel like i just see new ones popping up all the time and it's kind of like ah how can there be this many they've got the funkiest <laughs> names as well so it's kind of hard to like you see this name and you're like, what are you? And it's like, oh yeah, yeah. you're a buy now, pay later. And they all sort of start to sound like, I saw one the other day that was like, it sounded like Snapchat, but it was like, snip, chip, chip. And I'm just like, what? Okay. <laughs> um, but um, Mitch, what about you? Are you a big buy now, pay later fan? And, and why do you reckon it's become such a phenomenon? Um, I'm, a, I'm still a big credit card believer. Um, oh yeah? <laughs> so I haven't gotten right into the, the, the trend of um, buy now, pay later, but you can see why it's popular. Um, mm -hmm. You know, just taking the names, you know, I think in generations past, you know, the, the triple platinum credit card has seemed like a really enticing thing, but you know, it's, it's, it's not as attractive these days. It's, you know. Triple platinum gold ultra credit exactly. card. Yeah. yeah. Now it's, you know, you want something that's kind of sleek and, you know, after pay, you know, zip it sounds very fast and new mm. um and i think you know i think a part of the success of buy now pay later in australia was due to how young adults receive credit cards and borrowing in general mm. you know there's a lot of credit cards out there that are you know they have little or no fees assuming you're paying the cards off the card off each month but yeah i think there's like a hesitation or fear that they'll be stung with late fees or you know a big yeah. credit card debt if they aren't paying attention Honestly, before I started getting into personal finance in a professional way, I was I was under the impression that you always paid an interest rate on your credit card. Like there wasn't a way to not pay it. So I was mm. like, why would you get a credit card? That's money that costs money. 
Yeah, I didn't so, realize, yeah, that there was actually interest-free periods. It's weird realization. Yeah, so I think that's where the, the, the banks have kind of, they failed in, you know, marketing their credit cards. And, hmm. you know, the buy now, pay later services um, have really stepped up and gone, hey, here's a really simple interest-free loan. Here's the late fees. They're flat and it's easy for everyone to understand. Yeah. What about, um, I guess, sort of regulation in this space? I feel like there's been a few you know, there's, there's been criticisms in the past that it's not, um, cause it's not under the necessarily the same regulations as, as banks. How do you think the regulators will tackle buy now, pay later? Into yeah, the it'll, be, it'll be really interesting to see what the, um, the regulators do there. Cause it is operating, you know, slightly as a wild west, um, you know, product area. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, you know, in the future, there'll be some restrictions or, or, or guidelines placed on this services, whether they're imposed by a, a, a regulator or they're, you know, come up with their own uh, best practice, um, their best practice systems. Yeah, sort of internally. Mm -hmm. So maybe not popping the Chrissy presence on buy now, pay later than Mitch. At uh, least prob this year. Pro probably not me, but um, many friends that do. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's move on to our next uh, major change. And this has been a, a slightly more recent one as well, at least in the past couple of years. Um, and one that I found really exciting. Um, and that's the kind of launch um, of neobanks in Australia. Um, for those who don't know, these are basically uh, digital banks, which operate purely on an app, um, at least from a customer side. Um, which I just learned today, neo meaning new. I had no idea. Does that mean neo from the matrix was just literally new? That, that was <laughs> Maybe. Oh, Red would be bill. so useful. Uh, no, question thanks. for Keanu, I guess. Um, <laughs> so uh, Vault Bank was the first neobank um, in Australia to be granted a, like a full uh, authorised deposit-taking institution licence, which is the kind of like full accreditation from APRA, um, the governing body in that respect. And that was back in January 2019, so really oh, recently. That um, is so recent. Yeah, like we're literally just talking about really the last couple of years. Um, yeah. But since then, um, aside from Vault, we've got uh 86400 we've got up and funnily enough until today we had zinja as well but um we literally just got the news before we started recording that they have um essentially given back their license and that they'll no longer be operating um as a bank and pretty wild yeah Big offering news. bank accounts and savings accounts so yeah crazy news there's um, something about like how they were going to return deposits to to people that had savings with them. And I was just like, how are you going to, do you just, do you, is this the moment for the check where they send checks out to people? <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe we'll see, uh, see the resurgence of checks off the back of that. Um, Wild. I, I think if you got a Zinja check in the mail, I think that'd be worth more than uh, what was printed on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, maybe away from Zinja, I guess more broadly, like this is, you know, it's quite an exciting development to have um, these like digital banks in Australia because they provide extra competition um, because of the kind of like the features that they've developed and the kind of the way that they're pushing other banks to adapt as well. Um, but I guess, Mitch, uh, that's just my opinion. What, what's yours on the kind of the importance of the emergence of neobanks in Australia and have they kind of had any impact on the landscape so far? Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with... Um what you've said, I think neobanks, they ask the question, you know, if we center our entire banking experience on just the app on the phone, we can get a lot of efficiencies, you know, we can save a lot of money. They can, and then through that, they can offer some really competitive products um, because their costs are so low. Mm. Um, 
you know, the last 12, uh, 12 months, we've seen their banks constantly offer some of the best saving rates around. Um, and at least off, one of them is offering some really good, um, some home loans as well. Um, however, we've seen with uh, Zinger today, it's, it's, it's a pretty tight market. And these neobanks, you know, they can't find a way to grab a reasonably large chunk of the market uh, mm. and, and make their, their, bit, their banks profitable. It's going to be difficult to stay in business. Do you, you neobank boys, do you know how long Zinger <laughs> have been on the market? Just over a year. I think they Just launched fully in uh, September 2019. So, oh, yeah. Getting but, it out. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're one of the first to say, hey, we're, we're launching, we're going to be a bank. Then they, they took mm. quite a while to actually get to market. And I think that was, you know, one of the difficulties uh, along with, um, you know, COVID, which has, you know, disrupted a lot of investment. Of course, in yeah. We can't underplay the um, impact that yeah. that's had. Um, I always and... forget it's been like pretty much a whole year <laughs> since. Oh my God. And the impact of falling interest rates as well, um, which yes. have been huge for competition in the market too, I think. It's been uh, massive and something as, you know, a diligent saver that I shed a tear on every every time <laughs> my bank drops rates. But that kind of it brings us to our, our last uh, point of the day, which moves away from those more techie trends and looks at da, 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 interest rates over the last decade. So I'll start you off with some numbers again. Ooh, thank you. So love a number. I love at numbers the, too. <laughs> we're all about it here. Um, at the end of 2010, so 10 years ago, the RBA's official cash rate was a pretty 4.75% and it now sits at a record breaking low of 0.1%. So bit of a difference there obviously you know a bit of a bit of a jump mm. but um mitch you are you're more of a numbers guy than me maybe more than tom not sure Ooh. um so Rude. why why is that decline such a big deal and how do um these incredibly low, low rates impact people's day-to-day -day? yeah so uh the ultra low interest rates really what they are now um mm. On home loans is obviously been great news if you have a home loan or you're looking to borrow but it's one of those key reasons um we've been seeing home prices continue to rise you know or at least stay steady in most of the country and you know if you're a first home buyer sitting on the sidelines it's it's it can be obviously pretty frustrating yeah it's kind of like a win-lose situation it's like oh back in the day it mm -hmm. was cheaper to buy a house in property value but it's sort of the rates were high and now it's kind of mm -hmm flipped and being like oh like zero interest but yeah like i'd can't. love to borrow money but i don't have the money to borrow that money oh gosh exactly. it's like I, I need to get experience but i haven't got the experience to get the experience <laughs> what about for um yeah for for savers yeah like so the, myself? the flip side <laughs> of that is um you know the ultra low saving rates that come with it which is making you know shopping around for leading saving rates um not really worth the effort uh, in many cases yeah. um you know, I think my concern, and I think it's shared by many, is that, um, you know, savers will be desperate for better returns somewhere, you know, mm. possibly investments such as the share market. And, you know, savers, they, they might not fully understand or, or factor in the risks involved in there. Yeah. We've seen tons of people jump into the share market this year, particularly younger people for that very reason, I think. so. Yeah. Do you reckon yeah. people are going kind of kind of blind? hoping that there's there's a better option out there and then kind of be like, oh, no, my money is all gone. Yeah, it's, it's definitely something you have to be aware of and, you know, plan for in, in, in your risk assessment, you know, but when you open a savings account, you don't have to, yeah. especially in Australia with, you know, 
our strong banking regulations, you don't have to worry that overnight you're going to lose half your money. Yeah. And I mean, I have a few friends that have looked at uh, like cryptocurrency and mm-hmm. shares and stuff. And it's, it's like a full-time job. They're like on their phones, checking things constantly and like moving stuff around. I'm just like, oh. That looks like a lot of work. Wow, I can't imagine checking uh, a share account every couple of hours. That would be uh, yeah. <laughs> intense. And I'm like, I'm like, they have day jobs. So, but uh, Mitch, do we have any idea? Looking at the incredibly low rates, do we have any idea what's likely to happen to interest rates in the next few years? Yeah, I think the consensus is that these um, ultra low rates are here to stay for at least the next couple of years. Um, it it really depends on um, on what happens with you know the the recovery both in Australia and globally um, post-COVID, mm. you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd expect these rates to stay low for a, a year or so longer. It'll be interesting to see what the RBA does to... Um, yeah, and considering just, like, the general, I suppose, post-COVID environment mm-hmm. in Australia, like, compared to the rest of the world, we're looking pretty good, but you never know when there's going to be another sort of, like, surge or Melbourne experience lockdown. Mm-hmm. So... I guess we just wait and see, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm. But until then, like, we've got to have, you know, we've got to have a bit of fun. So I reckon that brings us to the final and extra fun part of the podcast where we spill the beans. Um, do you want to stick around for this little bit, Mitch? Yeah, I'll up? stay. Yeah? You'll share some of your confessions? These are my <laughs> confessions. So if you've been listening to every episode, Mitch, which I'm, uh, I'm sure you have, you'll know that this is the section where we pose an awkward, funny question and share our, your, you know, maybe controversial opinions about it. And this week, you know, with Christmas presents having come and gone, um, the question is whether or not you'd re-gift something via a platform like uh, Facebook Marketplace. Mm, and this is, I feel it's a little more complicated than necessarily just sort of like passing on a gift, right? Because the risk is that the person who gave it to you might be friends with them on Facebook and they might see it and, you know, hurt feelings could happen if you don't tell them what's happening. So Mitch, would you do it? Would you pass on a gift on, on Facebook or another um, selling platform? I, I'm, I'm way too much of a wuss. You know, <laughs> the, the times I've regifted, I've made, you know, definitely Ooh. sure that it's different, different uh, friend circles, you know, and never they shall meet, you know, I think Facebook <laughs> marketplace is, you know, too much of a risky maneuver for me. Oh, see, I have very little shame as a regifter. <laughs> I love it. I tell people when it's happening. I recently, um, I gave my mum a lovely uh, quilted duvet, which she had given me a year earlier. And like, I'd never used it because it was just like, it was like a king size and it didn't fit our bed. And I was like, it's nice, but it's too nice and I'll just ruin it. And she was so stoked to get it. She laughed. <laughs> That's but, so um, weird to me. <laughs> I, I don't, it wasn't for, it wasn't for a birth or anything. I was like, hey mum, do you want this back? Oh, that's nice. Okay, so it wasn't like replacing a gift. No, that you it was just like, it. hey, yeah. I'm coming down. You want to do now? You love this dude. You bought it. Um, I haven't tried to resell anything online in that sense, but I don't think my sort of close family or friends would be super phased or surprised by it. I might ask them first if they, the person who gave it to me, if they wanted the thing back. So I feel like that's kind of you know, good manners. But yeah, I think, I think my, my history of re-gifting and telling people how much I enjoy re-gifting is, um, would, uh, yeah. A giveaway. Clear. <laughs> yeah, clear to sell online. What about you, Tom? Um, I'm like Mitch. I have shame um, oh. and a little bit of paranoia <gasps> about getting caught as well, um, as unlikely as that might be, I guess. Mm. Um, I just, I don't know. I always get like 
I have this idea in my head that like someone is going to come to my house and be like, Tom, you know, where's that, you know, cookbook that I gave you? I'd love to see it in person uh, and see that you've been using it. And, you know, so I'm just, I'm too paranoid to so chuck anything out or to sell it or resell it. So, the guilt yeah. and the pressure. Look, I think we need to work on that. That's why you got to be open about it with everyone. Just be like, I'm selling this. It's going to it's gonna be great. Let well, the presents I want to know if you... The present that you gave for our um, white elephant last week was uh, a regift. No, it wasn't. Oh, unfortunately, that's good I didn't have any. I didn't have anything to regift. If I could, I would. But um, <laughs> no recent presents. But also, like I guess, kind of on your point. Fair enough. If it's like your grandma giving you a really meaningful gift, and you're like, I don't oh, really yeah. want this, but yeah. you're my you're my grandma. Like I've got to keep it. You got so maybe... all of these things. They're sentimental. Everything is sentimental. yeah. Anything sentimental. Fair enough. But I think it. Um, I'm not alone in my regifting enthusiasm because in a recent Mozo survey we just got back the other day, found 30% of millennials are really happy to regift. Wow. So yeah, I'm I'm part of a 30% crew of us who are just giving stuff away. Poor grandmas. <laughs> They're so sad. Sorry, Grandma. But um, either way, I think it's time to stop with all this podcast nonsense and start rummaging through our unwanted presents to see what we can sell online. Give it a go, Tom. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Go out there and make some cash for the new year. I won't, but you guys (laughs) get. (laughs) Um, Hey, Mitch, thank you so much for joining us today and for your insights. It's been a pleasure having you on, mate. Uh, The pleasure's on mine. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we'll, hope you've had fun. Yeah, Maybe we'll have we'll... to get you back on. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, and a big thanks as well to the team behind the Finance Burrito. It's been a huge year and we <laughs> definitely couldn't have done it without our fabulous producer, Claire, our researchers, Gemma and Jada, and our social media manager, Rihanna. So thank you so much, guys. Yeah, indeed. Um, we'll all be taking a, a break over the holidays. Um, so everyone listening, keep an eye out in early 2021. <gasps> what a mouthful for our next episode. We will give you a heads up on our Facebook and Instagram pages um, for when it's all out, ready to go in the new year. Until then, have fun splashing some holiday cash or saving it, if that's what you're into. And happy new year. Woo, finance burrito out. We're out. Just remember, as Mozo writers, we're providing general financial product information. So we're not taking into account your specific financial situation, needs, or personal objectives. We are not recommending any specific product to you. The best advice we can give you is to make your own financial decisions or seek out independent advice. This podcast was brought to you by mozo.com.au.